It was a pretty full day. By the time dusk was dawning, Jesus was back on the shore with a multitude. He asked his disciples to take him over to the other side. As the crowds turned to head home, someone who had seen Jesus' works and heard his words lingered for an interview with Jesus about being a disciple. Maybe they sat down next to the sea to chat with him as they rested against a piece of driftwood while the quiet waves lapped the stony shore. Sleep, that blessed state, that harbor for tired bodies at evening, must have been heavy on Jesus' mind. You can hear the fatigue in Jesus' response. As he watched the last families head back to their lives and their homes and their beds, he said to the curious candidate, The foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Matthew 8, verse 20. The disciples took Jesus even as he was in the ship. This means Jesus was sleeping before he was taken into the ship. That entire day had been taken up with Jesus working and serving, but at the end of the day he no longer worked. He slept. His disciples lifted the collapsed body of the Son of God whose compassion had driven him over the edge of consciousness. The picture is almost maternal, perhaps one of the most tender in all of Scripture. One fisherman called to the others asking for help. Here, help me out. Here, take his arms. I'll get his feet. Don't wake him up. One, two, three. Watch the oars. Hold his head. Good. Here, let's lay him here in the back. John, grab the pillow from Dad's boat. Knee-deep in the Galilee, they shuffled the motionless Nazarene into the boat. Under the gathering clouds, they tenderly laid his head upon the pillow and covered him. And away they sailed across the darkening waters. Perhaps Jesus slept just because he was unbothered by the storm. But most likely, Jesus slept because he was bone-tired. He was so tired that not even a tempest could penetrate his sleep. And we'll hear more about that story right after this. Welcome to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, brought to you by Word of Flame Curriculum and the Pentecostal Publishing House. This podcast encourages adult disciples to think deeply about God's Word, further develop their personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and make a greater commitment to the purpose and plan of God for their lives. Let's dive into today's lesson and explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. Good day to you, God's Word for Life listeners. You're listening to L.J. Harry. I'm your host, and you're listening to the God's Word for Life Companion Podcast. And today's episode stems from a lesson dated October 9th, 2022, and it is entitled Calming the Storm. We're going to read from 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. If you have your Bible, you can turn or click there or just listen to the sultry tones of my tenor voice. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 reads, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Aside from the story of Jesus' passion, no account gives so complete an itinerary of a single day in Jesus' life as the disciples give of the day leading up to Jesus calming the stormy sea. The day was so full that it ended with Jesus falling into an otherworldly sleep on a pillow the disciples laid under his head. This is the only account we have of Jesus sleeping. On that day, needy men and women surrounding him touched him, begged him, brought their children to him. He wrested demons from men's souls, and for his troubles he was accused of being in league with the devil. He blessed the broken, 
cleansed a leper, healed Peter's mother-in-law, healed a paralytic, listened to a centurion, and he healed the man's servant. Then Jesus climbed a mountain and he commissioned twelve disciples. He withstood the withering doubt of his own blood brothers before he ever sailed on the sea that evening. He had already spent the day in the deep, the deep of humanity, a sea of people, waves of disease, the tests of enemies, a thousand hands reaching out to him, clawing at him, sapping his body of strength, one desperate request at a time. They pushed and pulled in every direction, straining the furthest limits of human endurance. At one point, the crowds were so dense and drew in so close that Jesus was backed onto the shore of the Sea of Galilee, right to the edge of the water. Out of space and needing to spend time teaching, he had to get into a boat and push off a little from the shore to create some separation between himself and the multitude so everybody could hear. And after he was done speaking, the evening was near. He found his work was still not done. His disciples were puzzled by his parable, so they asked their wearied master to teach it again, but this time with some commentary. Here's a question. Do you ever have moments of confusion where it's difficult to understand what God is doing? And if so, what do you do? Before we watch Jesus rise from sleep and calm the storm, we we need to see the sea a little more carefully. We should not assume the sea represents to us what it represented to the ancient mind. For ancient Israel, the sea represented chaos, a place under the dominion of forces hostile to God. Though the sea was ultimately under the sovereignty of God, the Israelites feared the sea and they avoided it as much as they could. To some degree, the sea seemed to resist the orderliness of creation. In the beginning, the sea had to be divided in order for creation to unfold. The apocalyptic beast of Revelation is said to rise up out of the sea to indicate the beast is empowered by Satan to bring chaos. When Jesus heard the voice of Christ, John compared Christ's voice to the voice of many waters, Revelation 1 verse 15. After hearing this voice, John fell at Christ's feet as one dead. To convey the idea of the kind of peace that prevails in heaven, John wrote in apocalyptic symbolism that a sea like glass surrounds God's throne. In other words, there is no chaos, no disorder, no disharmony where God rules in his fullness. But the sea on which Jesus and his followers sailed was not a figurative sea. It was the Sea of Galilee, which was really a modest-sized lake. The Jewish people were more willing to sail and fish this body of water, but although the Sea of Galilee is a lake, snow-cooled winds from nearby Mount Hermon frequently roll into the lake and clash with the dry, warmer winds coming from the Jordanian desert, and the result, violent windstorms. Fishermen generally knew when and when not to sail. No doubt they had seen the signs, but Jesus asked them to sail anyway. They must have believed they'd be okay. Jesus knew things they didn't. But once the storm arose and tossed their small ship around, they thought their moments were numbered. Think back to those days. Think if you were one of those disciples on that day. What would you have done? One disciple pulled in the sails. Another used buckets to bail the water coming in over the gunwale. Others grabbed an oar in hand to keep the bow of the boat facing the waves. They shouted, but the thunder and wind and heavy rain drowned them out. In between storms of darkness, which might have been in the void before the creation of light, strobes of lightning like the sky's bony fingers electrified the sea. The white-blue light flashed on panic faces as they saw a wave mount to the height of a city wall and loom over their little boat. 
With an angry snatch, the jaws of the sea tore an oar from one of the men's hands. The mast of the small ship splintered right down the middle. A disciple waited for the next flash of lightning to see how the master was handling this. And he was still asleep, almost comatose. The desperate disciple crawled over the seats and shook him. Master, carest thou not that we perish? From somewhere deep in the dreams of God and flesh, Jesus woke up. The disciple saw the lightning etched on the master's pupils. Jesus lifted his head off the pillow and stood to his feet. The disciples, who had just given up hope of being saved by their own skill, looked back at Jesus as the wind whipped through his hair and pulled at his wet robe. More flashes of light streaked the sky. His mouth shaped the words, Peace, be still. And it was. The disciples had seen leprosy retreat from sick bodies and demons leech out of men's souls at Jesus' command, but who controls the wind? Where is the switch in nature that turns off a storm, and who has access to that? Anyone can tell the wind to be at peace. 300 years earlier on a narrow passage of the Mediterranean connecting the continents of Asia and Europe, Xerxes, the son of Darius, emperor of Persia, rebuked the sea. He gave it 300 lashes and inserted molten sores into the water as punishment for not yielding to his command for a smooth voyage. But the wind did not listen. Doesn't even listen to emperors. Yet on the Sea of Galilee, suddenly the storm ceased. Not because it had already spent its force or because someone prayed an impressive prayer. The storm ceased from three short words from the lips of Jesus. Like a deafening stadium speaker going out in the middle of a song as the singers still try to sing, the storm's small voices now only faintly reached the distant ear. The lightning, the thunder, the wind, they lost their amplitude. Moments earlier, waves threatened the men, but these selfsame waves now tumbled prostrate before the Lord as they cradled the boat in kindness. The disciples' eyes turned back to the master. Their mouths fell agape. It slowly dawned on them that the Christ with them in the boat was far more powerful, far more fearful than the storm they had just escaped. They had gone from dread to an even greater dread. What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Mark 4 verse 41. They knew Jesus was a man. They had just watched him spend himself like a man. They'd carried his unresponsive body to a pillow in place of slumber. But what kind of man? Psalm 107 in Israel's songbook taught them that God, not a man, calms the sea. What kind of man could do this? No mere man could, but Jesus did. Jesus was no mere man. As his followers would soon come to fully understand, Jesus was the God-man, very man, very God, God incarnate. Jesus was God in flesh. Can you describe a prayer God answered? that caused you to be in awe of his power. In our day, some people have a difficult time believing Jesus was God. But think about in their day. They have no trouble believing Jesus was a carpenter, a rabbi, a prophet, even a wonder worker. But they could not muster the faith to declare he was God. But in the early Christian era, people tended to have a more difficult time believing Jesus was a man. Many of them believed he was God and his humanity was just a matter of appearances. But both of these are errors. 
The gospel accounts such as Mark's take pains to declare Jesus' humanity was true humanity and his deity was true deity. We can build a deep relationship with this one true God knowing he is everything his word promises. The disciples didn't see God out of character. The incarnation was God in character. The humanity of Christ did not hide God, it revealed him. When Jesus wept, he was not betraying his fleshly weakness. The incarnation gave God a body that was capable of suffering uniquely physical pains, but there are pains that transcend the body. When Jesus wept, it was not just because he had physical tears. He wept because God had always wept. When we see the Son of God, we're seeing God at his most authentic, not his least. The flesh of God was not a veil hiding God's essence. Instead, God's incarnational flesh was a window through which we could see God clearly. God's flesh does not reveal God's weakest side, his best side, or any side. The incarnation shows us God's most complete self. Now in one sentence, try to describe the incarnation to somebody who has never heard of it. The incarnation is the beating heart of the Christian faith. We've been entrusted with the accounts of Jesus from the apostles. And in these accounts, Jesus clearly suffered the weakness of humanity, but he also clearly worked as only he can. It's interesting that Mark painted Jesus in such human colors in this story, a story when a problem arose that only deity could solve. It's almost as if the clash of human frailty and the divine omnipotence was intentional. But maybe the way Mark framed the calming of the sea with Jesus' human weariness was intended to give us a sense of what this event must have been like for the disciples. They had just carried Jesus asleep into the boat. Then they faced a mighty tempest, a power beyond human reckoning. What could the man they just watched collapse do? And sure, he performed miracles early in the day, but prophets long ago also performed miracles, but nobody held the reins of the wild sea. We look back on the disciples with awe. How did they miss it? Jesus told them who he was. He even demonstrated through miracles and wonders that he was more than a carpenter, a rabbi, a prophet. He was divine, but they did not see it. They knew him as a carpenter. They followed him as a rabbi. They listened to him as a prophet. But we have the benefit of the cross, an empty grave, a full upper room to give us more context. But if people after us could have heard our prayers and seen our journals, they would look back at us and say, how did they miss it? We have the benefit of all of those evidences. So we must be careful lest life's illnesses, disappointments, hardships cloud our view that Jesus really is able to calm all our storms because he really is the creator. When he speaks, the waves and wind he controls must calm. We are safe. Whether he calms the storm or he calms our soul, Jesus is who he said he is. Today you can be encouraged. We can rest. Jesus really is God. All right, we wrap this up. At the end of the day, there was at least one more sea to calm. Two sets of eyes watched the stormy sea in this strange, miraculous calm. These eyes watched my sepulcher up on the hills that overlooked the sea. Two wild men, naked and disheveled, shifted from rock to rock, witnessing holiness bridle the untamed seas. These men watched the ship come to the shore. A legion of devils trembled when Christ set foot on land. They knew Jesus, the Son of the Most High, was coming for them. There was nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. Their time had come. 
their days were done. The demon-haunted men ran and threw themselves at Jesus' feet. The once powerful devils who stripped their hostages of all dignity and lacerated them were so weak and deferential, they begged Jesus not to torment them. If he didn't grant that request for surrender, they simply begged him not to send them completely out of the country. They had no question as to what manner of man he was. They knew even more than Jesus' own followers knew. Jesus was the God-man, more dreadful, more terrible than any storm on a sea, and more blessed than any cherub or seraph in all of heaven. With a word, Jesus sent them into a herd of swine and set their prisoners free. Last question before we pray. Are there any God-sized storms in your life only God can calm? If so, let's ask him to calm those storms just as he calmed the storm on the sea and the storm within the soul. Lord, help us to believe. Help us to trust you. Help us to look to you. Help us to have faith in you. Help us to know you are who you say you are. You are the almighty God. Nobody like you. Nobody above you. Nobody equal to you. Help us to trust you to calm the storms in our lives. Help us to trust you to calm our souls. Help us to trust you to speak peace and know that it will be Help us today, Lord, to keep our eyes focused on you, our ears listening for your voice. I pray today, Lord Jesus, calm the storm, calm our souls, speak peace. We love you and honor you and worship you and are in awe of you. In Jesus' precious, lovely, wonderful name, amen. Thank you so much, God's Word for Life listeners. So glad you're with me. I encourage you to subscribe and share and that way you'll never miss an episode and neither will any of your friends or family. Also, from here, head over to PentecostalPublishing.com. We've got some wonderful resources, a couple you might be interested in, especially that relate to this particular episode. There is a handbook on the Gospels, which walks through the miracles and these stories, just like this one in Mark chapter 4. There's also a great book by Carlton Kuhn called Light in a Dark Place, Encountering Depression. Maybe you feel like you're in the middle of a storm and just can't see the light of day, I invite you to pick up light in a dark place encountering depression to help God calm the storm in your soul and bring you freedom and bring you peace like only he can. Pick up those resources and so many more, PentecostalPublishing.com. Hey, thanks to everybody who stopped me at General Conference and said hello. I was very easy to find. Once again, looked like a real life Where's Waldo, so not too hard to find in a crowd. And you said thank you for the podcast and thank you for all the kind words you have shared. I'm really glad God's Word for Life is being a blessing to you and your devotional walk and your walk with Jesus Christ. So continue listening and sharing with others. That way you can continue to be a blessing to them. It's God's Word for Life. I pray it's been a blessing to you. Next week, I want to share with you a devotion called Go Home to Your Friends. I'm looking forward to sharing that with you next week. And always look forward to learning and living out God's Word for Life. Thank you for listening to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, where together we explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. If you haven't yet, make sure to subscribe to this podcast. And if you are looking for other Bible study tools and resources to encourage you in your walk with God, visit us today at PentecostalPublishing.com.